0: Bible reading is from John chapter 14 verses 15 to 31 Uh, and either in your Bibles on page 1675 or you can follow along on the screen. Uh, Jesus is just promising his Holy Spirit. If you love me keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Okay, well, I'll um, ask you to take out the handout that has a detailed outline of what I'm going to cover
1: this morning. And also please to open your Bibles to page 1675 in John chapter 14. Uh, it's been a real delight to be with you over these last uh, four weeks. Uh, this is the last time that I'll be here for the next little while. It's been particularly encouraging to see how uh, even in the midst of what is obviously a, a time of transition and change for, for this church uh, as you continue to uh, look for a new senior pastor to nevertheless just see that uh, you're getting on with uh, that great privilege and task of trying to preach Jesus to everyone uh, in this part of God's world. So uh, it's been a great encouragement for me and been wonderful to be amongst you this last month. Uh, the series that I've been taking us through has been called An Unexpected Jesus and uh, we have been following as Jesus shares his last Passover meal with his disciples. If you look at verse 31 of chapter 14, uh, which is where the reading ended, Jesus finishes with these words, Come now, let us leave. Uh, The meal is almost over. It's been an incredible night. Uh, So far, we have seen Jesus wash his disciples' feet uh, because his disciples weren't prepared to do such a task themselves. Uh, We've seen Jesus predict that Judas will betray him and Peter will abandon him. Last week we heard Jesus' uh, pretty shocking and almost outrageous claim that no one comes to the Father except through him. Uh, So, on this incredible night, the question is, how is it going to end? Uh, Three things I want to cover um, very briefly today. Firstly, Jesus is leaving his disciples. Uh, When he says in verse 31, "Uh, come now, let us leave, the sense is more than just, uh, you know, it's time to go home, everyone Party's up. Uh, What he's actually saying is that he's about to die. Uh, He's about to go to his death, which he has predicted and anticipated. He said that it would be necessary. And yet, he also says that he will never abandon his disciples. So look with me at verse 18. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Or likewise, verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Uh, Jesus is about to go to his death, but he says he won't leave his disciples. Uh, It's possible, of course, that the disciples have finally understood that Jesus is going to die. I doubt it, though, because pretty much they've been ignorant of most things this night. But if they had worked it out, can you see what great comfort this would be? Jesus is going to die, but he says he's not going to leave them. Now, they probably have no idea how that's possible, How can he die and still not leave them? Although if they recalled, he he raised Lazarus from the dead just a few chapters earlier. So one assumes it's not impossible. But in the meantime, point two, Jesus expects his disciples to keep his commands. Jesus expects his disciples to keep his commands. Now, we've seen what Jesus' commands are. We saw them back in chapter 13. They are to wash each other's feet, just as Jesus washed theirs. They are to love one another. that The world around might know that they are his disciples. But at this point, what Jesus emphasizes is why they are to keep his commands. And uh, as is often the case with the words of Jesus, when they're really important, he repeats them a lot of times. And you probably noticed that in the reading as it just came to us. Four times, in fact, he says why they are to keep his commands. Come back to me then to verse 15. Verse 15 If you love me keep my commands. Verse 21 Verse 21 Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23 Jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24 anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Okay, kind of hard to miss the point, isn't it? Why are we to keep his commands? Well, Jesus says, because it shows how much we love him. It shows how much we love him. The sense, I think, here is of what's important to us, of what our priorities and values are. I think what Jesus is saying is that if we love him, even after he's left... We will do what He says. We will seek to please Him. We will do what He wants. We will keep His commands, if we love Him, even after He is gone. Because in the end, everyone tries to please their loved ones, don't they? Everyone tries to please their loved ones. Whether it's your family, maybe your friends. Maybe it's the world around whose approval and acceptance you crave. You do what they want, don't you? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, of course, what makes that particularly tricky is that he's not here. Uh, If he were, I suspect the keeping his commands would be easier if he were right here next to us, right beside us, perhaps sitting in one of the chairs here today. It'd be easier. I think generally we find it harder to please someone who is absent. Uh, Maybe uh, you might wonder what it would be like if Jesus were with you wherever you went. Uh, Whether it's to uni or to school or to work. Whether you're at home with no one else in the house. Or maybe out in a crowd where you feel anonymous. If Jesus were right there, it'd probably be easier to please him, wouldn't it? Than if he weren't. So, Jesus says, Keep my commands if you love me. And the problem for us, of course, is that, well, despite our best intentions, generally we're not so good at it. So, it feels like he's actually raised the bar pretty high, hasn't he? He's leaving, he wants us to keep our, his commands, and the extent to which we do is a measure of our love for him. So, what hope do we have? What will make it possible? Point three, Jesus is still with us by his spirit. Jesus is still with us by his spirit. I asked before if you thought it would be easier to do what Jesus wanted if he were right here with you, next to you, beside you. Well, uh, Jesus asserts that he is still with us. And the question, of course, is how that can be so. How can he be with us when, the Bible makes it very clear, actually now he is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he rules over all things. He is not here on earth. So how can he still be with us? How is it that he has not left us as orphans? Verse 18. Uh, Well, the answer that we see throughout this passage is that Jesus is still with us by his Spirit. And I just want to point that out to you before drawing some implications for us, show you where that comes from the passage Uh, There's actually three planks to this argument, and you'll see I've listed uh, each of the points there on your handout so that you can follow on more clearly. This is a very brief glimpse into what Christians call the doctrine of the Trinity. It's not everything about it. Don't worry, this will not be a very long talk. Uh, But this is just a glimpse into one aspect of it because it's very clear in this passage. Okay, How is Jesus still with us by his Spirit? Well, firstly, uh, point one there, Jesus promised... Jesus promises to make his home with us. Jesus promises to make his home with us. Verse 23. So, verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Uh, it's actually not just Jesus. Jesus and the Father, we're told, promised to make their home with us. And I think the essence here is of, um, you know, uh, of, of moving in, of flatting together of sharing a life together in that sense. It's interesting, isn't it? Because just earlier in the chapter, we heard Jesus promise that he is going ahead of us to the Father's house to prepare a room for us. And that's waiting. But right now, Jesus says, he and the Father make their home in us. Second plank, the Father puts the Spirit in us. The Father puts the Spirit in us, verse 16. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he, that is the Spirit of truth, he lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit lives with you and will be in you. Now, we're going to see who this Spirit is in just a moment. All we know so far is that he's called another advocate, uh, the spirit of truth. Uh, but for now, what we do know for certain is that this spirit will be with us and in us. Now, at this point, I think Jesus, when he says in us, he's actually it's the sense of amongst us because he's actually talking to all the disciples. This is not so much a comment about the spirit being in individual believers, although we'll come to that later. Here, at this point, I think he's saying his spirit will be amongst his disciples as a group. And so the third and final plank there is that the Father and the Son send the spirit to us. The Father and the Son send the spirit to us. And uh, I'll get you to look now with me at verse 26. Verse 26, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Father sends the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Uh, and just to be very clear, Jesus also sends that Spirit. You see that in John 15, verse 26, which I printed there for you on your handout. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. That is, the Father and the Son send the Spirit to us. Okay. Why take you through each of those three points? Well, it's to affirm for us and encourage us that Jesus Jesus is not just with us, he is in us by his spirit. He doesn't just accompany us, he indwells, he lives in us. And the bond, I think, between the Spirit and us is like the bond between the Son and the Father. Let me explain what I mean by that. You recall that last week we saw how the Son lives in the Father and the Father lives in the Son, and I talked about that fancy theological phrase, mutual indwelling, uh, how they live in each other, Father in the Son, Son in the Father, they mutually indwell. Well, I have given you a heading here on this handout, Mutually Indwelling Upgraded. Because if you have a look at verse 20, look at what verse 20 says. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, mutual indwelling between Father and Son. Here's the extraordinary part. And you are in me. And I am in you. Jesus is saying that in a sense, the way in which the Father and the Son mutually indwell so Jesus is in us. Which I think is the most wonderful assurance, isn't it? Particularly when, if you look back at verse 17, uh, verse 17, Jesus has commented about the spirit. He said the world can't accept him because it can't see him or know him. We... We live in a world where people don't believe in anything other than the physical and the material, what you can see and touch and taste. You cannot see the Spirit, but Jesus says He is in you, the way in which the Son is in the Father. So for all those times you're tempted to doubt, is God really with me? He is there. He is with us and in us by His Spirit. Okay, well, for the rest of our time, I thought I'd talk for a little bit about what the Holy Spirit actually does and why it's important. Uh, Again, this is not everything that I could say about the Holy Spirit, clearly, uh, but I want to just point out three things that come from this passage uh, by way of application uh, and relevance for us today. And you'll see the three questions that I I printed there for you uh, to shape the rest of our time. Firstly, what does the Spirit actually do? Uh, What does the Spirit actually do? Well, the key here is in verse 26. Verse 26 of John chapter 14. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will teach you of all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And likewise in 15 verse 26, the passage I printed on your handout, When the Advocate comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Here's what the Spirit does. He reminds us of Jesus' words and he testifies about Jesus' work. He reminds us of Jesus' words and he testifies to Jesus' work. I think that's probably why the Spirit is described as another Advocate. Uh, we don't use the word advocate very often, but if you do, uh, you tend to hear it like in courtroom legal dramas. An advocate is someone who stands on someone else's behalf and represents them. Uh, that's the sense here, I think. The Spirit testifies about Jesus' words and his work. And he reminds us of what Jesus has said and done. I kind of dwell on this point because it's important for us to recognize that the Spirit never acts Independently. And he never acts in a divergent fashion from the Son and the Father. After all, they mutually indwell. They are one mind. They are in perfect alignment. And for that reason, therefore, the Spirit will never do new signs. Not new in the sense that they are different. Rather, the Spirit's work is to remind us of Jesus' work and what he has done. Perhaps an illustration helps. Uh, I, um, as you know, I spend uh, the church where I normally go to is Trinity City, and uh, uh, as you know, Trinity City is one of these lovely big old stone buildings uh, that looks very impressive from the outside. And uh, in particular, at night time, uh, what we've done is that we've arranged some spotlights out the front of the church to light up the building at night time, so that when you walk up North Terrace, people stop and they see, you know. This looks you know, pretty spectacular. In the 15 years in which I've been a minister there, I've never had anyone stop and ask me if they could learn more about the floodlights. Um, I mean, I get that they're important. They perform a role and a function. But the role of the floodlight is to point away from itself to highlight something else, the thing that matters. Uh, so too with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. He says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. That's the one you want to focus on. It's very dramatic. <laughs> okay, so that's the first thing. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words and testifies about Jesus' work. Okay, second question. Why does it matter that the Spirit is in us? Why does it matter that the Spirit is in us? Uh, And the way in which I want to answer this is by uh, picking up on something that Kez said right at the start, which is in particular to welcome you here today and especially to welcome you here if you're someone who's not a disciple but you're here because you're trying to find out who Jesus is, perhaps at the invitation of one of the members of this church. Uh, Can I say it's we're we're thrilled that you're here, that's one of the reasons why this church gathers each week, uh, that you might have a chance to see what it's like when Christians gather together uh, the way in which I want to p- explain why it matters that the Spirit is amongst us and in us is by picking up on the question, the one question in the passage that uh, actually I didn't address. Uh, you might have noticed it back in verse 22. So look at the question that Judas, this is the other Judas, Judas asks. Uh, Jesus has just said in verse 21 that uh, he, he will show himself to the disciples To which Judas, admittedly, somewhat reasonably says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the whole world? Seems like a pretty reasonable question, doesn't it? And certainly if you're someone here who's perhaps not a disciple, you might be thinking, yeah. I mean, if I got to see Jesus in the flesh, I reckon that would probably convince me to believe in him. Well, once again, sadly, I think the disciples have missed the point. What Jesus is doing here is that he is saying how people across time and space, people even in 21st century Adelaide, can see him even though he is no longer here. So when it comes to self-disclosure, Jesus has two options before him, I take it. One is he could appear directly to every single person who has ever lived. That's one option. The other option is that Jesus could live in his disciples by his spirit so that as the world sees the disciples and the way in which they love each other and keep his commands, they see Jesus. You understand the two possibilities? Either appears directly or appears through the life and the action of his followers. Now, I get, of course, that... uh, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, I would rather be in this first category. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just appeared to me? Then I'd never have any doubts? I understand why you'd say that. I think often Christians feel that as well. Although perhaps my caution would be that, generally speaking, the people who met him in the Bible didn't believe him. Even the disciples had abandoned him to the very end. So I don't think that's actually necessarily a cure for all doubt. Rather, what I think Jesus is describing is what you might call a multiplier effect. You see, until now, the only people who could meet Jesus were a handful of Palestinian Jews 2,000 years ago for the few years in which his ministry was active. Whereas now, if Jesus is in his disciples, then people across time and space can see him. They can see him at work by the way in which his disciples love each other and keep his commands. So the role of the Holy Spirit then is to remind us of Jesus' words and as we keep his command to love each other, the world will know that we are his disciples and they'll want to be a part of that as well. You might say that the way in which people today receive the love of Christ is through the conduct of spirit-filled Christians. And so the third and final thing that I want to speak about then is why does it matter that the Spirit is in me? And you notice there that it's almost the same question as before, but I've changed it slightly. The pre- previous question was why does it matter that the Spirit is in us collectively? So why does it matter that the Spirit is in me, in you and you and you and me, in each of us individually? I want to talk about this because it's hinted at in verse in John 14, but I don't think it's the main focus. However, it's very clear throughout the rest of the New Testament that the Spirit lives not just amongst Christians in general, but in individual believers. And there's a whole bunch of passages that I could take you through, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. I'll just refer you to one. Apologies for not writing down on your handout. Uh, You might like to look up 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 19, there the Apostle Paul, who's reflecting on the work of the Holy Spirit, says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And clearly in this passage, uh, he, he's saying the Holy Spirit lives in every single one of you individually, not just in us collectively. And that's clear because of what he says next, that is, conduct yourself in a particular fashion. So why does it matter that the Spirit is in me and in you and in all of us individually? Well, uh, let me finish with what I think are two massive and profound implications of the Spirit being in us individually. Uh, The first is this, before you became a disciple, uh, most of us sought at one level to try to keep God's commands, you know, to perhaps keep the Ten Commandments, although these days most people don't know what they are, even if it was only just, you know, the first two about love God, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're a disciple today, there was probably a period in your life in which to some degree you at least tried to do that. My guess is generally pretty badly. I mean, that's the whole point about grace, isn't it? In the end, you can't save yourself by your works. And then you become a Christian and all of a sudden, well, you still want to keep God's commands. You want to do what Jesus says because you love him, even though you can't see him. And my guess is that ever since, you've not done that particularly well either despite your best efforts, your best intentions. You know that definition of insanity, about doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? If there is nothing different about us now from before when we were believers... What makes you think you'll be any better at keeping God's commands, at doing what Jesus wants, at demonstrating your love for him? You need something to change on the inside before your life looks different on the outside. And again, perhaps an image will help, an illustration. And this is one that's going to, appear to uh, appeal to Uh, the computer geeks amongst us, but for the rest of us, we'll enjoy it anyway and we'll make fun of the computer geeks later. Um, So you know that uh, in the world, the world is generally divided into two groups of computer users. There are the Mac users and there are the PC users, and uh, particularly there are the hardcore PC users who really think that Mac is a sellout and, you know, they feel quite strongly and passionate, almost, you could say, evangelistic in the way in which they, they decry the evils of the Apple Corporation. Um, the thing, of course, about Apple is that, well, the stuff they make is just, it's so sexy, isn't it? <laughs> Compared to the bricks that you get for the other stuff. And so I've got a colleague who, he is at the extreme, let me say, at the extreme end of the computer geekiness, nerdy end, um, but he really liked the look of the new Apple laptop thing, so and he couldn't resist it. So he went and bought one, but what he then did was that he took the PC operating system, and replaced the Mac operating system, so now it looks like a Mac, but it still operates like a PC. Yeah, of course, the rest of us just thinking, my goodness, who has the time to do that kind of stuff? Well, my friend does. Um, do you see what's happened? The shell is still the same, but what operates it, what drives it is different. That's why it matters that the Holy Spirit is in each of us. Because if he were not, you'd still be trying to keep the commands that you couldn't keep before. Here's the second implication. Here's uh, the second reason why the Spirit being in me is so wonderfully magnificent. It's because if Jesus is not just with us, but in us, in us by His Spirit, if He indwells us the way the Son indwells the Father, then you know He cannot leave you. You know that He cannot leave you. Wherever you go in this world, whatever trials you face, whatever suffering you endure, whether it's persecution from outside or the despair that comes from recognizing your own failures yet again, if he is in us by his spirit the way the Son and the Father are in each other, you know he is with you wherever you go in his world to the very end of the age. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent not just your Son, but your Spirit. Thank you that he unites us to Christ and reminds us of his words and testifies to his work. So we pray, enable us to keep his commands, for we love the Lord Jesus so dearly. Amen.